Congregation, following the sermon, let us begin to respond as we express our amen in song, Psalm 107, the stanzas 1 and 12. Congregation of the Lord, I did not read the words, the third part, our thankfulness. And I could have done that, but I'm drawing your attention to it now. The Catechism uses that as the indication of the third chapter in the Catechism. In that chapter, we also hear the words, good works, another description. If you... Think back of the scripture reading, Isaiah 64, it speaks about that, our good works. It's called there the righteous deeds. So the righteous deeds are the deeds of a righteous person. They are right in the eyes of God. They're acceptable in God's sight. However, According to Isaiah 64, these good works are not okay. They are polluted garments. If you think about that, it could be quite disconcerting. For if our righteous deeds are polluted garments... What then are we to make out of what the Catechism says, that we must do good works? It puts us in an awkward spot. On the one hand, we are under the requirement to do good works. On the other hand, and that is also according to Scripture, we are unable to meet that requirement. You recognize the dilemma. And without the gospel, one would be terribly stuck. In fact, if you believe there's a God who will judge our deeds you would despair. But here is the power of the gospel. Here it shows at its best what God means when he says, you have to live by grace alone. And that applies also to the part about our thankfulness, our good deeds. Now about that, I may preach to you God's word, and because it's the gospel, it's going to be a good afternoon. The theme of the sermon is, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be perfect. So that's the theme of the sermon. By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be perfect. Now we consider three things. God wants to see that. We need to see that, and our neighbor should see that. 
the theme of the sermon is, by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be perfect. God wants to see it. We need to see it. Our neighbor should see it. Brothers and sisters, when we speak about our thankfulness, many believe that it is about man's ability to do something good. Finally, it is that debate that we have with evangelical and Baptist-type convictions. The idea that somehow man can somewhat contribute to his own salvation. The problem is that it seems to be supported by the catechism when it asks that fundamental question, why must we yet do good works? It's a good question. The necessity of good works. It's a biblical question. After all, the Old Testament is full of the commandments of the Lord. And the constant refrain throughout the Old Testament is that the man who does them lives by them. The man, as Psalm 119 says, who keeps the commandments will reap a great reward. So the catechism is correct. And it uses the very word must in the question and answer 86. But it has caused so much confusion. For it is easy to think that a person must be responsible and active because the question is there that you have to do something. So the, it seems that it's implied that apparently you can do it. And because of that thinking, many Christians expect to get a long list of things to do. In addition, they expect to hear of the pulpit a long list of things they have to avoid doing. They like to hold a list of commandments in the one hand in order to do them. And that part is often referred to as the application in the sermon. And I hear at the times, give me some application in the sermon. Why don't you tell us more what to do? It's very understandable that people desire to have such a list for it seems to make it so much easier. Give me my marching orders and I will do what I'm told to do or at least I will try it. And in a way it feels good. For it gives you a degree of responsibility. It gives you some of that responsibility back. And it seems that that is, is required in Lord's Day 32. Because question and answer 87 clearly speaks about those who do not do these things. They will not inherit the kingdom of God. And no unchaste person, idolater, adulterer, thief, greedy person, drunkard, slanderer, robber, or any of such person 
shall inherit the kingdom of God. And in the minds of many people, you basically reverse that. And that means that those who do live chaste lives and do not worship idols and do not commit adultery and do not steal and are not greedy and are not drunk and do not slander or rob, that they, by their actions, will inherit the kingdom of God. Is that true? Can you say that? Are we, as we are capable of doing wrong, also capable of doing good? Now we have to be very precise in answering that question. Are we capable of doing good as much as we are capable of doing wrong? For Isaiah 64 clearly shows us that even our best works in this life are all imperfect and defiled with sin. So that prevents us from thinking that we, if we do our very best and follow the list of commandments, can really and truly be thankful to God. So what are we looking at? Well, this is what we're looking at. On the one hand, we are incapable of doing what is pleasing to God. But on the other hand, we are quite capable of doing what is not pleasing to God. And no one therefore should think that it is possible to please God if you try hard enough. Let no one think that in the thankfulness it is now up to us to put our best foot forward. No matter how long the lists are, no matter how good the lists are, no matter how hard we try, no matter how much cheering we give one to another, we are not going to be truly thankful to God. We would never do anything that is perfect in His sight. So we have to understand what that word must means. Well, the Word of God speaks about having set the standard. Namely, God has created man that He was able to do it. And that word also speaks about the reason. Because man is created good and in God's image to praise and glorify Him. That is Lord's Day 3. So man was created to do good. That is, to praise and glorify Him. That is the reason why we must do good works. We must do good works because God has created us for that very purpose. As we say it in the Heidelberg in, in the Catechism, but also in the Belgian Confession, where it says God created us to the end that man may serve his God. So there is that design. But man is incapable of doing that. Even when man is redeemed, that is, when man is made righteous, man is still unable to do any good. And that's why the Catechism says what it says. When it speaks about the requirement of good works, the response is not, well, you can do it now, apply yourself. No, it says, Christ, having redeemed us by his blood, also renews us by his Holy Spirit. 
And that shows you that the work of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just a matter of getting the forgiveness of sins in place so that we can receive that check to pay the debt. If that forgiveness was all we needed, it would suffice to go to church, to hear the words of forgiveness, to go to the catechism to get forgiveness explained, and to chat occasionally with an office bearer to see if you still have a good understanding of the check issued to you. But that would not really make us fit for the original purpose. We would, in essence, have our debt cancelled, but we would not be meeting with the original purpose that God has decreed for us to be. Because it is like this. There's a zero line where Adam was placed. And the point was that Adam would grow and increase in the Lord. To live to the praise and glory of God. But instead he went down. And when Christ brings us forgiveness, he brings us back out of the transgression. But now we need more. We need to get back to where Adam was supposed to go. And that's why it says Christ renews us by his Holy Spirit to be what? What Adam was supposed to be. His image. So that like Adam in paradise, our whole life may show what we think of God. And that is how it must be. And that's what we find in Isaiah 64. When the Old Testament is getting closer to completion, and when it's getting closer to the time that the Lord Jesus is coming to earth. There's one conclusion about man's performance. After all those sacrifices, all the temple service, what do we read about man? Man is terrible in doing what God originally wanted him to do. His righteous deeds are polluted garments. More and more it becomes clear that there is a reason for the mediator to come, the Savior. And it comes out so powerfully in the words that the temple of Jerusalem did not bring the perfection of God's people. Our holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise you has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? That is the cry of God's people. It's the confession of God's people that they do not have it in themselves and it calls for the act of God the Father. Even their temple service, <coughs> it did not bring the forgiveness, let alone the righteous deeds. Yes, the praise for God went silent. And that is why Isaiah 64 talks about clay and God being the potter. Because the people have come to realize, you know what? Clay, potter. Well, they've come to realize that they have to go back to 
how God did it in the beginning when he made man, when he formed him from the clay, when he was the potter. And they say, God, go back with us to the beginning. Can you do it all over again? And that conclusion and that prayer to God did not go unheard. And God the Father acted. He sent His only begotten Son, not only to redeem us by His blood, but also to renew us by His Holy Spirit to be His image. Christ came to die for the forgiveness of our sins. But He also rose from the dead to give us new life through the Spirit. That's why we heard this morning we're united with Christ in His death and resurrection. Both matter. The death addresses the payment for sin. The resurrection addresses living by that image. And so the catechism as a result says Christ renews us so that with our whole life we may show ourselves thankful to God for His benefits and we will praise Him. In other words, the work of Christ gets us not only out of trouble, but gets us back in line with God's plan of the beginning. Now we must understand this full well. For it would be tempting to think that Christ renews us and that then we are going to be thankful to God and praise Him. If that is the case, if that is true, that Christ begins and that we finish the work, it would mean that up to a certain extent we are still involved in the process of us becoming perfect for God. In fact, what we would be saying is that there is still some ability left in us to reconnect with God and to perform the way God wants us to. In fact, we would be saying that there's still some redeeming power left in man. And that's where the debate goes quite wild. From a small contribution to a bigger, to a much bigger contribution. But we realize that this would be the heresy that the canons of Dort seriously argue against. We cannot in any way, however little, contribute to salvation and perfection. And therefore we say that the thankfulness that we show with our whole life to God for His benefits is the work of the Lord Jesus Christ through His Holy Spirit. And we say that the praises of God by us is truly Jesus Christ working in us through His Holy Spirit. And this is truly what the Bible teaches us. We find it in 1 Peter 2, where it says, You yourselves, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. There you have the heart of the gospel. That is how we are acceptable in the sight of God. 
It's not by our doing. It's not by our partial contribution that we complement what Christ has done. No, the Lord Jesus himself teaches his disciples and therefore also us. In John 15, when he says, I am the true vine, you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. And then he says this, abide in me and I in you. And he explains that. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you and I can do nothing. If you want to do it on your own, you will be thrown out. He says more things there. So that's what we're talking about. The Lord Jesus says, you are already clean. And then you will produce fruit. And then the Father will be glorified. So the conclusion therefore must be that only by abiding in Christ, we will be producing the thankfulness, the good works, the praise for God. Now, How do you abide in Christ? By believing. By keeping his words in you, as he says. So we have to believe in the name of Jesus Christ. And that means that by that faith, he will be in us by the Spirit. And for the, that reason, the best thing that can happen to God's people is that they hear the gospel of Christ. That they hear the words of Christ. That the gospel is preached to them. Because that strengthens your faith. By the preaching of the gospel, the faith becomes visible. By strong faith, the work of Christ through the Holy Spirit becomes visible in you. And therefore let no one, when his good works are lacking or when his thankfulness is shrinking, demand to get another list of things to do. For it would only contribute to more frustration and less thankfulness. I have it at times that people say to me, when there's a bit of a situation, why don't you tell me what to do? Brothers and sisters, over the years I've learned to say one thing. I'm not going to give you a list. Why not? You're complaining. There's something not happening and you're not happy. So I know, but how can I give you a list? What you need is strong faith. You better get your faith strong because that becomes the conduit, the way in which Christ gets in you and works in you. And I do not know but the Spirit will work in you or in me. But you have to be open for that. That faith connection, that IV, you might say, needs to be well connected so that Christ can work in you what He thinks will make you look perfect in the sight of God. So you pray for strong faith. When the faith is strong, then the Holy Spirit can get 
to work in you and make you perfect in the sight of God. That's why at the beginning of our life, God did not say, like we heard this morning, two babies. But God didn't say, let them do some, some action and show them how they perform. No, it was clearly promised to them and to us all. Not, I will be your father if you're good. No, I am your father. He didn't say, I, I, I could redeem you. No, I have redeemed you. He didn't say, if you're lucky, you might qualify for the Holy Spirit. I will dwell in you. And what did the Spirit say? He assures us by the sacrament that He will dwell in us and make us living members of Christ. And then we're not done yet. Because then it says, imparting to us what we have in Christ. Namely, the cleansing from our sins and the daily renewal of our lives till we shall finally be presented without blemish in the assembly of God's elected life eternal. That was the pure gospel that was proclaimed this morning. And Christ gets us out of the red, into the black, onto perfection. When you were baptized, those words were proclaimed also to you, and it would be a loss. If you lose that gospel, or if you neglect that gospel, if you replace it with the idea Christ cut you a check, and after that you're on your own, have to make your own contribution to your own thankfulness and your own strength. The truth of Psalm 124 is still here today. If the Lord had not been on our side, we surely would have been swallowed up alive. If the Lord is not on our side, you will be swallowed up alive in your attempts to be good for Him. Our help comes not from our performance, but from the Lord who made heaven and earth and who hears our prayers. And that's why we should cling in faith to the gospel as confessed in Lord's Day 32. Christ not only redeems us by His blood, but He also, that's the key word here, He also renews us by His Holy Spirit. Let this be clear. We are able to do many things very wrong. But we're unable to do anything right in the sight of God. When we say that, we confess that we learn from the Bible, namely that those who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and impenitent walk of life by no means will inherit the kingdom of God. But we also confess that in order to inherit the kingdom of God, that is to enter into perfection, it's not our work. It's the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are not capable to enter. We are responsible for not entering. And so you find that there's a lack of thankfulness. There's a shortage of good works. Do not go the way of the Pharisees. Do not tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on other people's shoulders. As the Lord Jesus identifies in Matthew 23 verse 4. The Lord Jesus says, come to me. All you are burdened and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Go to Jesus 
And find in him everything that you need. Because you will find in him the spirit of Christ. And the power of the spirit is enormous. He can move mountains. The Lord Jesus makes that promise. He says, truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there. And it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. So true thankfulness is not a matter of trying a strong performance. It's a matter of strong faith. And it's exactly there where we have our problem. Because our faith is often so weak. And if it is not weak, it would become weak. If you don't do anything to feed it. That is why we have to pray constantly to God. That he gives us the faith. That he keeps us in the faith. That he strengthens our faith. For in that way Christ will succeed in making you truly thankful to God. He will have you praise God in perfection. And that is is what God wants to see. He wants to see Jesus Christ in you. Because that is a perfect sight. And so we come to the second point. We need to see that work too. We need to see that because we might go through periods of doubt, confusion. And in times like that, one needs encouragement. Well, how are we encouraged? The words in the Catechism are that we ourselves may be assured of our faith by its fruits. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean that we occasionally can pat ourselves on the back and say, nah, look at me. We have performed the works. Does it mean that we can encourage ourselves? Does it mean that we're looking in the mirror and saying, oh, you haven't done so bad today? Some self-assuring is in place. Does it mean that we have to do some cognitive therapy? Just mind over matter. You'll figure it out. You'll, you'll get with it again if you apply yourself. No, not really. For if it is true that Christ redeemed us by his Holy Spirit as image bears for the glory of God then it cannot mean that all of a sudden we're switching gears and it is now up to us to prove it to ourselves. This is not about self-assurance that some people would like to give to themselves. That would completely fly in the face of everything that we just confessed about Christ bringing perfection to us by His Holy Spirit. Already in Lord's 24, we have professed that those grafted into Christ by true faith will bring forth fruits of thankfulness. And when you bring to mind what the Lord Jesus says in John 15, you realize that the fruits we are speaking about are the results of Christ working in us. And to observe that, especially in a, in a fellow brother and sister, that can be an encouraging thing. That makes it such a, a joyful thing to be in the congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
We hear the same gospel. And then we see the gospel at work. And then we can point at each other and say, I see Christ at work in you. In the church, we can observe in one another that there are such things as true faith in Christ, a childlike fear of God, a godly sorrow for your sins, and a hungering and a thirsting after righteousness. I quoted the words of the Canons of Dort. And that's how you recognize the Canons of Dort say what Christ is doing in you. Now that's a different experience for different people. The Canons of Dort actually speak about various stages and different measure. But that's how we learn about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. He puts his work on display for fellow brothers and sisters to observe. That's why in the church we do not speak to one another about much we have done, but we speak about Christ and how much he has done for us. That's why the church worships rather then applaud a personal performance. For it's the joyful praise for the work of God as it is happening in our midst, in Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And again, it should be abundantly clear that we are talking about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives. We're talking about fruits. And when you go into an orchard. You've never seen a tree looking at itself, checking its own apples. A vine will never check its own grapes. There's someone else who checks that. It's the vine dresser. It's the gardener. It's the orchard keeper. It's someone else who sees it on you. And what do you see? What Christ is doing in you. And that is how Christ gives you the certainty of the faith, by working out in us the fruits. That's why we're always reminded of our faith. That's why we're built up in the faith. That's why we're trained in the faith, so that Christ can put his work on display, and others can see it. And that's how we encourage one another, and that's why we instruct one another, that's why we correct one another. And again, it should be emphasized, just as our renewal is completely the work of Christ. So the faith assurance is completely the work of Christ. And going to church allows us opportunity to point out that Christ is at work by His Spirit in us. We need that. I wouldn't want to put my performance record on display because it wouldn't be pretty. But when you see Christ at work, that encourages seeing the work of Christ in us, and to point that out to one another, that is truly encouraging. And so we come to the third point of the sermon. There are neighbors, and they should see what Christ is doing. When Christ is working in us for the glory of His Father and for the assurance of His believers, He also has our neighbor in mind. The power of salvation causes us to walk in godliness in our life. That can be seen. And at the risk of stating the obvious, 
The power of Christ's renewing work causes us to walk, not primarily talk. It doesn't say that by our talk we may win our neighbors for Christ, but by our walk. That's not a mistake, it's not a typing error. The effects of salvation is not in the first place that we become talkers, but we become walkers. Christ convinces unbelievers by your walk of life. The whole point of evangelizing is that we become the walking, living evidence of the power of the gospel. When Christ is at work in you, you become evidence of his workmanship. You become a display of his work. Our godly walk of life, being Christ's work in us, is not about us. It's not winning our neighbors. It's winning our neighbors for Christ. So if you desire to be effective for the neighbor, you turn to Christ. And you pray to him that he may work mightily in you. In fact, even that desire is the work of Christ in you. It cannot and it will not be successful in any other way. Don't let anyone convince you that if you apply yourself more and advertise yourself better, that you will be really doing the work of Christ. But be convinced that the work of Christ in you will make you apply yourself better. And your, the work of Christ in you will make you the better advertisement for the truth of the gospel. So when all is said and done, one question arises. What if? What if there is not too much showing the glory in your life? What if there is a lack of good works? What if there is not too much praise for God? What if there is not too much thankfulness? What if there is not too much assurance that you find? What if there is not too much the godly walk of life? What if there is not too much winning of neighbors for Christ? If we add the question of question answer 87, what if there are ungrateful people who have an impenitent walk of life? What's your answer to that? Well, the only fitting answer is that you stop all human attempts at self-improvement. Then you get stronger in the faith. For then you will see, I quote Philippians 2, Christ at work in you, both to will and to work. He has committed himself to restore, to paradise condition, all those whom the Father has chosen. And you are part of that process. By the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be perfect. God has promised you that. And you're on the way. Do not doubt God's promises, nor continue in sin. For we know that we will be made perfect in the end, as it was promised to us at the beginning. Amen.